The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and of course past performance does not guarantee future returns. At Zed, we're all about moving with the times. And now it's time to be part of the climate change solution and move on from fossil fuels. As a company providing fuel to people all over the country, we also know we have a real opportunity to lead that change. We're committed to keeping Aotearoa moving by providing the right energy for everyone. We believe that innovation in fuel and how it's used can make a huge difference to our planet. Find out more at z.co.nz. Should we go? Let's go. All right, just go. Okay, you guys, you guys stop. Right. You All guys right, I'll stop. Start. I'll go on mute. No more hiding my. <laughs> I'm a bit wheezy. <clears throat> Maybe I need to go. I need to go and have a puff on my nailer. Just chat for a Yes, have a puff. That's the good shit. My haere mai, ki a gone by lunchtime. Ko Toby Manhaya, toku ingoa, kia ora tato, kanui te mihi, kinga tamakino, or Brexit. Kia ora Annabelle, kia ora Ben, ki te pehe kura. Kei te paia hau e ora tonu ana i taku kāhui rāhui. Kua tino hōha ki te noho taratahi. I'm still surviving in my bubble, mm. um, but pretty over the lockdown and... I mean, it's an extraordinary amount of time to spend with one's own children and I'm just sort of <laughs> formulating in my mind some sort of contemporary treaty claim that I could potentially take about it. Kia ora Ben, kei te pehe koe? Uh, I forgot that it was te wiki o te reo. <clears throat> so I'm, I'm currently now furiously Googling whakatoki that we can sprinkle liberally throughout oh, to illustrate. you did some whakatoki winter, didn't you? Um, that, was, that was good the la- last year. The Yeah, I'm just trying to, there's, there's, a, really, there's a really good list on, um, I think it's like in the National Library website. So anyway, you guys just, you, do, you guys just go ahead. Kia ora te ai here. Thank you for staying up late to record us tonight. This, ladies and gentlemen, is another late night level four lockdown gone by lunchtime. We're coming to you tonight, direct from the truth sauna in our pod bunker, carved into the Wanaka Hills. Is it true, Annabelle Lee Mather, that Wanaka is a dialect pronunciation of Wananga? Is that true? My understanding is that, yes, it's Wanaka, which yeah. is the Ngaitahu pronunciation for Wananga. And Ngaitahu, That's... a lot of our NGs are pronounced as Ks. So, like, uh, Wanaka is like the place of learning kind of thing? Yes, could be a place where they had a, 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 a Wananga, a, a sort of educational situation or a, a, um, a house of learning or a meeting or could mean a number of things. To be honest, you've snapped me out. I don't actually know the whakapapa of the name Wānaka, mm. but I know what Wānaka is. I just found that out. I, looked, I found that out because I looked it up on Te Wikipedia or Te Reo Māori. Uh, 
Ben, KTP here queer. Look, look, just like every lockdown, I haven't cracked open my Māori Made Easy by Scotty Morrison. It's like, it's on my table next to me and I don't need to be shamed like this. Um, this is a journey that we're all taking together as a nation mm. and the people that we should really be focusing on here are the couple that went down to Wanaka uh, to learn a harsh lesson about lockdown justice. Well, I look forward to <laughs> the, the, the pair and you getting together and releasing a mini-album entirely in Te Reo Māori. Um, I imagine everyone is uh, on the edges of their seat looking forward to us talking about um, the situation of the National Party. We're not going to do that immediately, at least, because for the time being, Gone by Lunchtime is the formal official opposition in New Zealand, uh, the absence of anything else, and we need to attend to the serious issues. Me tai pari whakarewa waka ngā whakaro. Let's discuss the issues, Annabelle Lee Mather. There was a uh, alert-level decision made in principle, I think it was, on Monday, which is to say that, in principle, Auckland region will move down to alert-level three uh, at midnight Tuesday next week. Oh, I should say, we're recording on Wednesday night, just before 9pm, September the 15th. Um, so next Tuesday, the idea is we'll move into level three. And that was, uh, it was, it was an interesting call. The We were told that that had been the advice from the Ministry of Health. But it struck me that it was also an important call in terms of just the mood, right? Like people are, you can feel it somehow, even as you go on your mandated walk, even as you stare into the abyss of the internet, that people are, there's a little bit of fraying going on. Am I wrong? Yeah, not wrong. It's been, it's been a long, hard lockdown and it's our third, is it our third hard lockdown in Auckland? Fifth. And is it our fifth? If you count the little short one, yeah. Oh yeah. Um, so anything that can get us out of level four and into level three and further down quickly has got to be a good thing, particularly for me. So I, can, I, can, I, need, I need to escape my children. <laughs> ben, do you reckon there was a, a, any shift in tone? I, I, I mean, I was, I was struck listening to the Prime Minister on Monday morning and it's not like when, you, when, when I kind of revisit it, it's not as though necessarily there was anything that was substantively different. It's just that there was a shift in tone to, yeah, people, we, we can't go through this lock. We don't want people to go through this lockdown again, I think her language was. We need to get vaccination up. There was seemed to be a kind of acknowledgement that people have had enough. Yeah, and it was, I mean, look, remember before Delta became the predominant variant and, and the issue that we had to grapple with once it started, well, you know, particularly once it got out into the community. But prior to that, the government really had been sort of running this line that, you know, we, we likely would not have to go into level four ever again, uh, that our contact tracing, that um, MIQ would be sufficient to allow us to sort of dampen down outbreaks at level three, like we did earlier this year, um, and, and not the sort of really harsh lockdown of level four, um, which, you know, is it's a bit trite to say, but some of the harshest lockdown conditions in the world. 
Um, Delta obviously changes that. It's got different characteristics, the main one of which is that it's much easier to catch it and it spreads much faster. And, and, and you know, so I, I was on a ZB panel earlier today and, you know, they were saying, oh, this is a political decision that, you know, to foreshadow that we're going into alert level three. You know, all of these are political decisions. Um, I think that's something that's been missing throughout this whole sort of epidemic is that, um, you know, people say, oh, we're following the science. Well, you know, look, science can give you sort of models of how spread happens. But, you know, any decision about locking down, stopping the economy, freeing things back up, it's all political. Um, and, you know, the the government is probably right that, you know, this is, this is the advice that was tendered by the Ministry of Health. Advice advice to ministers is a bit of an iterative process. Um, it's not as if, you know, uh, advice is tendered in a vacuum, you know, to a minister who is otherwise completely removed from everything and then circles yes or no. Um, this, is the, this is the sort of thing that's, you know, it's part of a dialogue. Um, you know, that said, you know, we can still be pretty optimistic um, that we that we can get it down to a certain sort of rate as, as long as people abide by the rules, you know, as to, to the extent that they have been um, in the next week. But but look, the, the government's messaging has always been that lockdowns are temporary. The, the only difference is that prior to this, it's been that lockdowns are temporary, will be vaccinated at some point. And there hasn't been a lot of action towards that, whereas right now, you know, mm. there is a real momentum towards it. There is, um, Annabelle, I mean, you know, as, a, as one of New Zealand's leading epidemiologists, that the numbers to look at aren't just that top line of new cases, but infectious in the community number and um, also the, 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 the how long people have been, with how the, 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 the link to other cases, the epidemiological link. And it's, it's actually looking all right, right? Like, I mean, obviously it's frightening when people are rolling up to hospital and and the, there's no known link at that point. But that seems so far to have been closed up pretty well. By the way, how about the people at Middlemore just absolutely nailing it? The 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 kind of the most the most important institution in the country at the moment is probably Middlemore Hospital. Maybe the Beehive is, has some importance, but you know it's just incredible the work that everyone there is doing. The doctors, nurses, all the other staffers at Middlemore, man. Anyway, I'm not sure what my question was, but you can answer any one of those questions, Annabelle. Um, I, I agree. I think, you know, it's the people at Middlemore have been doing a phenomenal job and there was a bit of a pile on with them last week. But I mean, wherever there's humans, there's going to be human error. And it seems to me they did a really good job of, um, of, you know, getting control of a situation that wasn't of their own creation. Um, in terms of the unlinked cases, it's it's um, exciting to see those numbers coming right down. And it, it was a strange week media-wise because earlier in the week, it, you know, the, the, the narrative that was coming through is, you know, we can't beat Delta, we're losing the fight, we've run out of runway, you know, we're going to have to put our hands up and admit defeat. But um, the numbers that have come through over the last couple of days are, are pretty heartening, particularly for those of us in Tamaki McCovid. <laughs> <laughs> um, ben, it's the other sort of, I suppose, testing thing about the outbreak this time is that the levels of support 
in terms of, I guess, suppose it's stimulus spending. And Grant Robertson uh, put through on Thursday last week a was it forty one billion dollar Delta fund, which is pretty amazing. Didn't get as much attention as it probably warranted. But we've also got under level two conditions a lot of business and a lot of strife. We've got cafes closing. There are concerns about whether or not the wage subsidy is putting through, being put through with the same kind of um, uh, alacrity uh, as it was last time. There's not the same protections for tenants that were introduced last time, although the laws have changed a bit in the interim. Uh, students aren't very happy about it. Those things are different this time too, aren't they? Y- yeah, it, it, it almost seems like um, in the same way that you know, we haven't had the same kind of uh, messages about, you know, hand washing and keeping two metres distant. And, you know, there seems to be this idea that, you know, we're well drilled and we know how to do all of this. And so even though it's, you know, this will actually end up being a longer time in level four um, Mm. than the original hard lockdown, uh, that actually it's just a matter of hunkering down and waiting. And we, you know, we we know or we feel we know that the the economy won't collapse in the way that we thought it would last year, that, that there won't be mass unemployment, there won't be massive social upheaval. Which is taking a little bit for granted in the sense that you know, um, you know, a lot of a lot of businesses, particularly because Delta Level Two is different from normal Level Two, mm. and and can be expected to probably hang around for quite a bit longer. Um, that will still have flow on effects for a lot of hospitality businesses. You know, probably pretty. Uh, you know, could be pretty catastrophic for you know the South Island where a lot of you know tourism is was based where they you know really have been kind of hanging on by a thread and, and propped up by sort of Auckland holiday makers who go there legally. Yeah, and, 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 and just on a basic level, there are a lot of businesses whose business model is predicated on having more than 50 people on the premise at one time, right? Uh, yeah, that's right. We're pretty much the entire entertainment industry outside of sort of mime and, and uh, interpretive dance. Um it, you know, th- this will throw up a lot of challenges. So, you know, the, the Hospitality Association, are, uh, you know, were querying what they thought was some pretty imprecise language from the finance minister saying that, you know, they should still be eligible for wage subsidies. And, um, you know, I, th- I think some of the questions, you know, that, that have come up in this lockdown about, you know, did we use our time uh, between outbreaks uh, productively, you know, particularly yeah. the questions have been around in terms of, say, vaccines. Yeah. I think we might might start to look at, you know, other things like, say, masks, for instance. Um, yeah. For quite a long time, it's been pretty well known that, you know, cloth masks are sort of a, a kind of best of a bad situation, you know, make do kind of uh, a solution. Um, you know, better they than nothing. They look pretty, though. And yeah, and, 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 and we haven't, you know, with Delta being much more transmissible, you know, should there be more education about, you know, pro- masks with proper filters, uh, even if they're surgical masks, you know, those supply issues seem to have been sorted out. What are we doing about getting vulnerable communities, uh, poorer communities, communities where there's overcrowding, uh, yeah. good masks rather than just, you know, waiting for them to get the, get the, you know, take a cue and put a bandana on, like, um, you know, you know, we we see it again. You know, there's this, um, 
you know, the, the, the funny competition about naming the funny bus with the funny name. We're and, not talking about that. It's banned. That conversation is yeah, banned but, on this but, podcast. But, but, but it, you know, it, it is pretty grim that, you know, the funny name conversation is the first time that we actually hear about making proactive steps to go to remote communities rather than having them come to, you know, a testing location. Um, and I'm yeah. thinking about, you know, rural areas in particular. Um, you know, there are a lot of people in New Zealand who, you know, they're not vaccine hesitant in the sense of thinking that there's a global plot or a Bill Gates microchip. They're, they're just a long way away. Um, their experiences with the government are very different from the head of Briscoe's, whose experience with government is, you know, organising lunch with ministers or filling out a form for MSD to, you know, claim $150,000 in wage subsidies. <laughs> you know, they, they don't have the which same was, level Which was of, paid back, ladies and gentlemen, lawyers. Yeah, but they, they, they don't have the same level of um, sort of, you know, they don't have the same background of having good experiences yeah. with the state. Yeah. And yeah. you can't expect that, you know, flyers and Facebook ads will be enough to get them to come along and get the jab. Um, and and the fact that this has been now reduced to, you know, Bussy McBusface or whatever the fuck, um, you know, is actually a little bit disappointing. And, and again, just speaks to a bit of a lack of planning. I th- the thing too is that it's not just people living in remote communities that are struggling to go and get vaccinated. After we had um, John Farner on the Hui, he's the, um, the Deputy Director General of health for Māori, um, uh, we were contacted by a community leader from Ōtara who um, who was saying that, you know, for, for people out there, one of the problems is, you know, you've got um, solo parent families with, you know, with kids and no car and no petrol. And so even getting to a vaccination centre um, with, with your with your kids in tow can be um, a real challenge and frankly out of the reach of some whanau who are struggling you know to get kai on the table when they're having to spend hours on end talking you know trying to get through to someone at once um, in terms of the the um, the support for small businesses it's interesting because this week Rwani Pereira has um, spoken to a couple of Māori businesses in the hospitality industry and um, while one of them is doing it quite tough, um, you know, in terms of lessons learned from the from the first lockdown, one of them has really changed their business model. So it's quite interesting how yeah. some, are cope, some are coping really well during lockdown and others are, are really struggling. And in terms of the rest of the, you know, small businesses in the country and whether or not they'll be able to access help in level two, you know, you've got to feel for them because they've lost their um, international tourism market. Now they've lost the Australian bubble, although you'd have to question whether economically it was worth having an Australian bubble in the first place, given that we've now spent, what, five weeks in lockdown mm. um, and now they're losing their Auckland clientele or bar two um, so okay, you would yeah. you would hope that um, that they are able to get some support I just got that gag very late but yeah <coughs> it's very good um, better late than never types yep 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 um, you can hear the chime of the bell I've been getting a lot of names wrong today as well like I feel I feel as though 
everything is falling apart for me in week five and I'm soon going to be one of those kind of lovely, charming, but uh, random elderly men who just sort of darts out words without invitation. Kwa pakaru te peanutsi. Exactly that, exactly that. Means you're, you're, you're a bit fuddled, you're, your brain's busted. Sp- speaking of that, we, um, Winston Peters popped up again. Oh. Uh, Did you see over this guy? He's been he's been, he's been posting. He's been turned. He's posting back on Twitter. He's he's like the rest of us. He's just he's just spent lockdown online, and he's <laughs> and and while most of us were devoted to the sort of forty eight hour manhunt, uh, you know, the scavenger hunt for clues as to the identity of the equestrian couple. Mm. Um, Peters has been on the trail of uh, a super fund uh, investment, uh, which is the company that coincidentally got the uh, government contract for saliva swab testing. Mm. Um, and he's lodged a complaint with the Auditor General uh, saying that, you know, maybe a, a you know, querying whether a fair process was followed in that tender. So, um, you know, look, that's an inspiration to everybody, keeping active in retirement. Well, he might be onto something too, you know. I mean, that the story that Dilipa Fonseca wrote for the Sunday Star Times on Sunday was pretty compelling about the, <laughs> the dude who runs that company, the name of which I can't recall, that has that government contract versus the woman that they call the, the I think they call her the saliva queen or the spit queen, who's the New Zealand academic working in the States that he was denouncing for having the temerity to say things from time to time. For having the question, the, the temerity to <laughs> point out that it was a problem that they hadn't done any survivor yeah. tests yet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. After months of having the government contract. Um, yeah, so, you know, look, it, it just shows, you know, when we when the team of five million gets together, we will find everyone culpable of something. You say, the by the way, Ben, that uh, Winston Peters wasn't on the equestrian track, but in fact... He posted on his Twitter a couple of days ago a picture of New Zealand's best dog, Bo, Winston Peter's <laughs> dog, um, having a little kiss with, a, with with one of Winston's horses on his farm up in the north. Well, the thing is, the 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 one the. The Wanaka couple, um, hmm. the 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 boyfriend is a, a stud master. Hmm. Uh, he al- he also deals in horses, and. So he he will he will have been a beneficiary of uh, Winston Peters Winston Peters uh, tenure as racing minister at some point with his his fine tall horses. No, he isn't he mostly show jumping. Yeah, he's a show jumping champion. But the thing is that I would respect him so much more if he had tried to ride his horse to Wanaka. Like, I could, <laughs> yeah. I'd, I'd be totally on board with that. He'd be yeah. like Jumped Braveheart. the police barricade. Yeah, like, how cool would that be? But no. And then apparently tested negative for COVID, but positive for entitleitis. <laughs> you know, since we've gone by lunchtime, we'll be back in just a moment. Kahuki mai, mato akune. Raising capital or taking your business to the world? Investment Fix has the lowdown on everything you need to make it happen. This season, we're exploring the US market the opportunities it offers, what it takes to grow a business there, and the best way to approach investors. Join some of the superstars of the investment and business world. 
as they share advice from their time in the US so you can make your mahi count in this massive market. The Investment Fix Podcast, brought to you by Invest New Zealand. Tune in today. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. Let's talk about the National Party. (laughs) (laughs) They're probably on a, probably various uh, clusters or (laughs) subclusters of the um, National Party caucus meeting this very moment, saying things like, Heika hai hai kupenga. Annabelle, do you think that do you think that's likely? I think that there is probably a large number of National Party members who consider Judith to be a ika hai hai kupenga, which is a, a a fish that rips through the net, and <laughs> Judith herself probably considers herself Hetanifa Hikuroa, which is a very influential leader. And I guess over the next couple of weeks, we'll see who's right and who's wrong. So. About a, about a couple of months ago, Janet Wilson was invited to appear on The Fold, which is another podcast produced by The Spinoff. Now you're thinking there aren't any other podcasts produced by The Spinoff. The only podcast produced by The Spinoff is Gone by Lunchtime. How could there be any other podcast? Why would there need to be any other podcast? Great question. The Fold is a podcast about the media, and it's, um, it's a good podcast. You should like and subscribe. And Duncan Grieve, my colleague and boss, invited Janet Wilson to come on his podcast after she wrote a column about Judith Collins' leadership. Now, Janet Wilson was the head of press, the chief press secretary for Todd Muller, and then uh, inherited Judith Collins, or Judith Collins inherited her, I'm not sure which one. And she wrote a column for Stuff about that experience, which was, well, it was, it was, it was, it was it was kind of cutting. It wasn't brutal, but it was cutting. And anyway, Janet Wilson said no to Duncan. Uh, but then uh, on Saturday, she changed her mind and said that she would like to talk to Duncan. That was after Judith Collins had called Susie Wiles a big fat hypocrite. She actually called her that twice. So it's clear that it wasn't a slip of the tongue. And Janet said she changed her mind. She wanted to talk after all. That podcast was released yesterday. And if you are one of the very few people in Aotearoa who hasn't listened to it already, here's a taste. Janet Wilson, who was head of press uh, for Collins, uh, begins by praising the national leader uh, for lending a sense of calm in her first few weeks as leader. But then something changes. And... Then Judith decided to start doing things on her own, things like going into churches and praying, which was never on anyone's schedule or scheme. I had media ring me and say, did you know? And I had to be really honest and say, no, I had no idea. And this was Janet Wilson's response to Colin's remarks of late. I think we're at a junction now where we're at 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 a moment now where the harm that's being inflicted is pretty high. 
I mean, we haven't had a poll result yet, and I'm not sure when the next polls are out. And they may well have been pushed back because Auckland is in level four. But there is no doubt in my mind that the electorate will look at this and see it for what it is, which is a cheap shot at someone and it, who's and empathy, whatever you think of Susie Wiles, is neither here nor there. Empathy will be always extended to Susie because of this attack by a political leader. Why aren't we talking about all the other things that New Zealanders are really, really worried about right now, like out-of-control housing prices, um, homelessness, uh, the, the level of poverty within this country, um, and her ideas about how she intends to change that, and holding the government to account when, frankly, the government hasn't actually had a very good track record at all in any of those areas. Uh, and finally, this is her diagnosis of the situation facing the National Party now. She said this. So the, the article that Matthew Hooten wrote for Metro recently, talking about the fact that the party uh, was on the brink of oblivion, is entirely correct. Entirely correct. So uh, Janet mentions that we might be waiting for the next poll, but in fact we've we've had a poll in the last few hours, Ben. It's, um, it's not an ordinary poll. It's a poll by Curia who... Uh, and I don't know if they still are polling for the National Party, but certainly have done the internal polling for the National Party for a very long time. And that poll was commissioned by the Taxpayers Union, who are a, a right-wing free market uh, think tank. Uh, but the poll was pretty crushing. It showed National down on 21.3% and the ACT Party, whom Janet Wilson had warned, were had warned were presented an existential risk to the National Party on for 14.9%. I mean, that's basically six percentage points behind. That's the National Party a whisker above the Bill English result in, was it 2002? Yep. Yeah, the historical low. Um, and, and well below where they've polled um, in any of the, the mainstream opinion polls. Curia... Uh, which is David Farah's uh, company. Um, they're, you know, they're a very credible firm. Um, and like you said, uh, have in the past um, been the National Party pollsters. It's been reported that National hasn't been polling since the election, and the conjecture is that that's because they don't want to see <laughs> the results. <laughs> Yeah. Um, because if you do if you do internal polling uh, and you don't show your caucus what that yeah. is as the leader, then their suspicions arise about your performance, um, and and there's also a, a suspicion that uh, Collins doesn't believe she needs polling. She thinks she can trust her own instincts and her own advisors. Um, one of the problems with this is is. Um, Janet Wilson was sort of alluding to is that you know some of these advisors may not be the kind of <laughs> may not be the political professionals that um, maybe previous national party leaders have had um, but but by which I'm subtly alluding to the uh, resurfacing of Cameron Slater um, who who was the source of that original Susie Wiles story and yeah look you can you know 
personally, I think, you know, I, I think there is a bit of hypocrisy there. You know, Susie Wiles and, is a science communicator who tells us all to follow the rules, um, but stood idly by while her friend flouted level four restrictions. Um, at the same time, that's good grist for the social media mill and for getting likes and faves by pointing it out or for putting on your blog if you're Cameron Slater. It's not core business to spend five days on for the National Party leader. Um, and that's what that's what's happened in the last five days. And I wrote a column for Stuff, which will be out by now, um, sort of touching on this, which is that, you know, in the... When Dirty Politics came out in 2014, you know, there's a little bit of discomfort around the idea that politicians, chief amongst them, Judith Collins, would be using the whale oil blog as a way of getting out sort of stories or tidbits or attacks on people. Um, I'm, I'm sort of so-so on that. It's not something I would have done or did do, um, but it's, you know, you're allowed to use media sources, I suppose, and, and blogs kind of count as that. But the idea that Judith Collins would reciprocate by using the resources and the platform of the leader of the opposition to promote Cameron Slater's new blog um, is just crazy. You know, that's that's insane. That's just such a, a a sort of mix up of priorities and a category error um, that I, I just don't know what's going on in that leadership there. I Annabelle uh, listened to the Janet Wilson interview. And I haven't spoken to her directly about any of this, I should say. Um, I wasn't involved in, in in the podcast. But one of the things that I think is telling is that you don't sense that this is a person out for vengeance, or at least I didn't. You don't sense that this is a person who is set upon destruction of a rival or, you know, it's not one of those kind of Shakespearean things that you see a lot in a lot of other politics. Like I remember when I lived and worked as a journalist in the UK, it wasn't that uncommon for former MPs, former uh, staffers to speak out in very direct and dastardly fashion about their former colleagues. It doesn't happen that much in New Zealand. So that's one of the reasons why this was so striking. But in my view, Janet Wilson was not speaking. There was no sort of sense of pleasure or malice, but really just a genuine concern about what was happening to a party she's been a, a, a part of for a long time. She was a media trainer for John Key. And, and that's important, I think. You know, she kind of, without saying it, she kind of hinted at the the, the new culture that's, um, developed within the National Party and that goes back to the stuff we talked about with the the um, the kind of um, born-again Christian stronghold that's developed within National. But yeah, no, it, it, it was a fascinating interview and interesting how she talked about not understanding how suddenly... Judith veered completely off course in terms of what had been yeah. agreed to as yeah. the campaign strategy and her realise well, what appeared to be her realisation since the Susie Wiles issue that perhaps or alluding to the fact that maybe some of the odd decisions that Judith were making could fuck a papa back to um Cameron Slater's um influence. 
just in terms of the, the, the poll, I opened it up and I looked at it and kind of had a quick look at the numbers. And mm. then I really looked at it hard and like relaxed my eyes and let them go out of focus. <laughs> and the image that appeared to me was like an upside down Pac-Man eating a little blueberry, which was the <laughs> national the National Party support, which I think is like a very apt image of what's happening. <laughs> but it also made me wonder in terms of um, in terms of the, the growth of actors, I think um, you know, my understanding is that there's a stronger older skew in terms of the National Party and and older people tend to be a lot more concerned about COVID in terms of its personal effect on their health and probably less concerned about how we may pay back the debt that we're accruing um, to help get us through this period, whereas mm. ACT voters are younger and as concerned about what might happen to them if they or a loved one got infected. But because they're young, they are more sort of cognizant about what what um, you know what the financial impact might be later on. Isn't there something else on top of that, which is that in any time of crisis, which we are in now, unquestionably, you want somebody who, even if you don't totally agree with the view they take, who is consistent who has a set of principles and who you know is not going to wake up the next morning and just go the other way, seemingly on a whim. And then I just, with the best will in the world, I don't know how you could imagine that Judith Collins is going to provide that consistency. I Yeah, I, I, I think that that's right. Um over her career, she's had, I think, quite striking range in terms of the positions that she can adopt and successfully argue for, from sort of, you know, very really quite liberal to sort of hardline conservative and do it quite convincingly. Um, but but it's almost like one of those scenes in a movie where, you know, the... <clears throat> the T-1000 in Terminator 2 starts sort of glitching and sort of shape-shifting on screen where she can't kind of control it anymore. You know, I think, as you pointed out in your your incendiary piece over the weekend, um, you know, she was very good on Q&A uh, a week ago. Um, she was. She was very statesmanlike in the immediate aftermath of the terrorism attack. Um, and and then this this week she's just you know today she's spent almost you know basically an entire day engaged in sort of bitter feuds with you know some pinkhead academic at Auckland University and her former chief press secretary. I mean it's just this is bananas. The, you know the the largest city in the country is entering its longest period of lockdown. You know today is you know marks the the longest period. Yeah. Um, and and she's just prosecuting personal grudges, and it's it's a ridiculous position for the second largest party in parliament to be in. For a prime minister in waiting, it's appalling, Annabelle. It sounds like the sort of debate, protracted debate, you might have on, let's say, a blog, rather than when you're auditioning for the role of the 
single most important person in the country. The thing that's interesting about it too is she, you know, she comes from a legal background. Not only was she a lawyer, she was like president of the Auckland Law Society. And yeah. was she deputy president of the National Law Society or the or the president of the National Law Society? So the fact that she's so reactionary to such petty issues just seems so bizarre, you know, the thing is that sometimes she rises to the occasion and she can be really impressive when she does, but by and large she doesn't. She, she'll take the bait of whatever's going and it's it's hard not to think that, you know, this persona of her being a bit of a, a, being a mean girl is actually who she is. And, you know, when we see the statesman-like presence, you know, that that's, that's not who she genuinely is, it's just times when she manages to pull it together and do it. By and large, she she enjoys the thrust and cut of, like, petty politics. But it does her no favours. And, you know, after the bloodbath of National since, since English left, I just don't think people feel safe to entrust them with running the country. I think that the... the, the, the um you know, because one of her strategies in order to enforce greater discipline, which we've talked about before, and keep her party on message, ironically, her trying to keep her party on message, um, has been this kind of purge in the caucus, you know, um, slitting Nick Smith's throat, um, you know, <laughs> continuing the living nightmare that's been Todd Muller's life for the last year or so. <laughs> <laughs> and and then sort of turning on, you know, those strong performers like uh, Chris Bishop, you know, really, um, you know, not to be too harsh on Bishop, but just really humiliating him and just sort of parading him around like a sort of severed head trophy um, around Parliament the other week. Um, and you just sort of wonder, you know, is there any point to this or is this just what, is this just what she wakes up wanting to do in the morning? Um, the issue is too is like there doesn't seem to be any real contenders. You know, there so doesn't seem to be anyone in their ranks who could genuinely give Jacinda a run for her money. Maybe they, there will be in a couple of years when some of them have some more mileage on the clock. But, I mean, if they roll her... What are they going to? Who are they going to replace her with? I mean, is Simon Bridges really a contender now to take on Jacinda at well, the next election? That's, that's it, Annabelle. That is, a, in a way, the more interesting question, given that <laughs> you know, as as Ben writes in his column, it's the end of the line. So the question, really, not the question, isn't if, is it? It's the question is who and when, really. Yeah. Um, and those questions are. As far as I can tell, and I can't say I, 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 I'm in touch with everyone who makes these decisions, but I've heard from a few of them. And the, the issue, the, the, the calculation had clearly been now is not the time. And that was even before the country was thrown into lockdown. Auckland remains in lockdown. To do it over Zoom, to do it at a time of crisis, to the risk of appearing, appearing self indulgent. Who's going to carry the can? Look like a temporary leader. I mean, boy, it's a it's a it's kind of paradox levels, Ben. 
Yeah, I, look, and, and absolutely, and I, you know, it's not clear that any faction does have fifty uh, percent, you know, to to roll her. Um, does does you know we Simon Bridges is you know I think Claire Trevitt wrote in her column uh, the other week is the natural uh, choice in that you know you know he can do a competent job as the leader of the opposition in in that role he can fill that seat at that desk. Um, can he win an election? Almost certainly not. You know, if you look at that um, taxpayers' union poll, his negatives are almost as bad as Collins's. Um, not, not quite, but, but you know, they're bad. You know, the, the yak renaissance is very much a sort of online phenomenon. Mm. Um, and, you know, Christopher Luxon, well, very untried. Uh, Chris Bishop or Nicola Willis, I mean, abs- absolutely no way. I don't think that any of them could could carry 50% of the caucus vote, um, you know, because when you look at that caucus, you know, um, and it, and it's been bolstered, you know, by the execution of Nick Smith and his replacement with Harati Hapingo, or Hipango, sorry, who is a, um, uh, a loyalist of Collins, you know, people like Maureen Pugh, who we discovered in the New Zealand Herald this week, was has been struck by lightning three times. Amazing. <laughs> Which, <laughs> I mean, we'll just we'll just leave that there and and, and proceed with the political analysis. Because <laughs> that, that should instantly qualify her to be the the spokesperson for energy, shouldn't it? She, what, was, what, what was the we'll just what plug was, her into the national grid? I reckon. Eh? What, was, yeah. what, what was the quote she said? I'll never forget the smell of my own burning flesh, which, to be honest, could, could be a quote from any member of the National Caucus Or right a quote now. from when she, <laughs> when she read the media after Simon Bridges' chat logs were leaked. Oh my! What did, what did he say? He he was. Like, I think he said she was fucking useless, didn't she? Yeah, didn't he, he was. He was like she just sits there saying nothing with paper clips and staplers being slowly drawn across paper the clips. Table that's table the trouble. There you there. go. You've got it right there. Very conductive materials. I, I do wonder too. You know, if you're like a new BMP or some sort of backbencher, and there's people there trying to crunch the numbers, given how ruthlessly people have been humiliated and or dispatched of, you know, would you really be willing to to throw mm. your chips in and try and roll her, knowing that you could be mm. smelling your own burning flesh? <laughs> Well, yeah. yeah. Are you going to throw your paperclip into the ring when there is a massive fucking storm raging around the room? It's, it's, that's right. And I don't know. I mean, I guess that's the, I guess that's why the, why the speculation lands on Simon Bridges. And I mean, I guess the idea is, oh, well, he's willing to give it a go because what's he got to lose? And, his star has risen since, and the people, the people who might fancy the job later would be like, "Oh, he's a caretaker manager," and he might be, "Well, I'll give it a go as a caretaker manager, and let's see." You know, I'm now a universally beloved figure with my very readable memoir, which was has been loved by everyone except Annabelle Lee Mather and Ben Thomas, who were very rudely left off the. <laughs> free copy list. Um, I don't know. Like, is that how it works, Ben? I, I mean, I, I, I don't know. Yeah, look, I, I, 
you know that that would be this the sort of thinking and um and look it's not it's not impossible you know bridges uh for all of you know his his personal negatives in a statistical sense prior to covid was on track to quite possibly win the election uh, at the beginning of 2020 um and you know one interesting uh you know there was also that umr poll that was released which showed mm. that the government had not gotten a, a huge bounce out of this lockdown that mm. it was that labor was still sort of around 45 46 uh, the greens were at about 6 or 7 and you know, it, it is possible that actually if a couple more lockdowns, you know, if, if vaccination rates, vaccination rates have been slowing, every, most other developed countries have plateaued, um, you know, sort of around 65, 70%. That wouldn't be enough for us to reopen under our our current plan. There are all sorts of things that, um, you know, Touchwood won't go wrong, but could go wrong uh, in New Zealand national life, which could could present a you know very different um, landscape, you know, come election time. Now that's not something that sure. Simon Bridges can control. It's not something that Judith Collins can control. It's not something that the National Caucus can control. What the National Caucus can possibly control is how pleasant their lives are in the two years leading up to that. <laughs> right, because but also there's a very base calculation, and we saw this a lot with uh, the Labour Party in opposition. Which is if you're if you're an elected member of parliament, your job security is contingent on getting either enough votes to win your electorate or enough votes to get you in at your particular place on the list. And that's always been the rule in Westminster systems and democracies generally, right? And at a certain point you look at those numbers and you go, 21.3%. I don't, I mean, the rest of it is kind of, the rest of it is, is secondary tertiary to that consideration. And at the point at which you go, couldn't do worse than this, because 21.3% means it's not exactly a massive caucus at the moment, but it means quite a few people lose their jobs. But they might also be considering, the, you know, like the Jacinda effect who, you know, came in at the last minute. And was it 2017? Well, so yeah. long ago, I can't even remember. Yeah, yeah, and be thinking yeah, maybe yeah. we should just sit tight and then, you know, throw yeah. our chip, you know, not get publicly humiliated and then raked over the coals for the next two years, hold till the last minute and then throw down. Absolutely right. And well, look, put it this way. I mean, I, I opened that piece when writing about Judith Collins the other day, talking about that you know, the, the, the cliche of the leader of the opposition being the toughest job in politics, blah, blah, blah. But when you think about it, who was the last leader of the opposition to become prime minister who'd been leader of the opposition for longer than seven weeks? It was John Key, was John it? Key, yeah. And, and he was... That's, he was, That's dialing back a bit, right? And, and, he, and he was there too... Wasn't, there wasn't... <laughs> He was two years. The internet you, op- had just been invented. <laughs> op- op- opposition leaders don't. Opposition leaders certainly don't get to to lose two elections in a row in the twenty first century. Um, mm. I think Helen Clark was the last one, wasn't she? Yep. Yep. Mm. Uh, not in not in the internet age either, eh? 
No. No, inter- internet 24-hour news cycles. You know, I have some sympathy for Collins. I have some sympathy for Muller. I have some sympathy for all of those Labour leaders, the sharers, the the, the, the Goffs, the Cunliffs, whatever. It's, it's so easy for us to sit here and go, you know, the old, the other cliche is stop barking at every car. Well, Judith Collins didn't sit down at any of those, those interviews and go, what I want to do now is have a go at Susie Wiles or what I want to do now is have a go at blah, blah, blah. She just couldn't resist. Yeah. <laughs> it's a kind of yeah. discipline, you know? And, and yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, it is, it is pretty tricky. It is pretty tricky job to be the leader of the opposition. And I do think probably the, if you're sitting in the National Caucus now, you're thinking the best way to go in is come down like a skateboard ramp unnoticed <laughs> with <laughs> six weeks to go. And and then the story is to be, oh, my God, they're changing all the signs. And I'm, you know, although to be fair, that's that's what Judith Collins did. So maybe that, that, that isn't the best example after all. Are we done? Is there anything to add? We're done. We're done. I'm so tired. That was a long podcast. Was it? Our, our sharp 30 minutes ended up being 55 minutes. It's can you, true. Can you, edit, can you edit 25 minutes out of it, Tiaihi? Yeah. Wow. wow. Is, there, is there anything it could do without? <laughs> like, I'll just get rid of all of the stuff about Judith Collins and we'll be sweet. Yeah, just, That's <laughs> it. That's <laughs> wow. wow. Could, you, could you just take a limb off Michelangelo's David? Can you just like... <laughs> Does, does the Mona Lisa need both ears? <laughs> um, I, you can't see this because this is an audio product, ladies and gentlemen, but Ben Thomas is lifting a celery stick to his lips now and coating it in refried beans and chomping down on it. It's good? It's good. Rate, rate, that, out of, rate that out of five. What's, what's the kind of scale? Like is, a, is dinner at my favourite restaurant a five or is like a particularly good celery stick with really nice refried beans a five? Sounds like it's a five. It's pretty good. It's I, mean, I, think, I think you've said it there. Far, far. If far. Oh, look at that. Kanui te mihi, kia koutou i whakarongo mai ki gone by lunchtime. Noho ora mai, la. Talo for lover. I'm Madeline Chapman, editor at The Spin-Off. If you have the means, consider supporting our high-quality journalism by becoming a Spinoff member. Sign up now at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. Kia ora e te iwi, Tiaihe Butler here, podcast manager at The Spinoff. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a Spinoff member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.